0: Well that and that's I think the Packers PR team needs to to make the fans happy and to make it all work would have to make Aaron Rodgers enemy number one. Welcome to episode 12 of The Fanalists. we got an action-packed show for you today. We're talking about the Jays. We're going to go over some of the NFL draft that just happened this past weekend. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Aaron Rodgers and the situation surrounding him. But I really want to start today off with asking you a question, Brett, and this is something that I didn't uh, didn't let you know before the podcast that I was going to ask you, because I want your honest and upfront answer about a Facebook post that you posted about a week ago with a hot take saying Cole Caulfield will be a bust.
1: I honestly like have thrown this idea around a lot and I actually have a pretty good feeling that I'm on the right track with that. And I didn't want people to be able to say in five years that I didn't speak up and say that it was a thing. So I was like, you know what, we're gonna make it your status. Of Habs fans are gonna be upset with you, but like ten years from now, nobody's gonna be like, "Yeah, yeah, Brett, you didn't say that, you didn't know that." Um, but that is something I'm actually pretty concerned about. I, uh, to me, Cole Caulfield has always played with high-level uh, center talent. Jack Hughes, he just he seems to be a pure goal scorer, and the Habs don't have. Your, your true number one center that's really going to allow a guy like that to flourish. And, and I don't see one necessarily in the system. Kakenami and Suzuki look good, but I don't know if they're going to be able to be at the right level to make a pure goal scorer like that flourish. It's difficult to have a guy like that. And I just I see some issues with the system he's going to come up in. Uh, the Habs did a big change to try to make their team more physical and I just don't know how he fits necessarily into that kind of strategy and I I'm just concerned about how a guy like that can be effective when he's so used to playing with such skilled center ice players I, I don't know what what he's gonna do moving forward uh, like I, I've seen some flashes of skill but I also remember that he was the first rounder and Nick Robertson was a second rounder and When they were both on the World Junior team, who played all the power play minutes? Who led the team in points? This guy's played with a lot of really good players, and it wouldn't be the first time we saw a guy who went on to take a leadership role on his pro team, and he wasn't surrounded by those all-stars, and he really started to struggle. I don't think it would be that difficult to play with Jack Hughes in the U.S. development program, people might tell me that I'm wrong, but there was a lot of stuff about that around the draft, and that's part of why Cole Caulfield slipped, and we haven't really seen super consistency as far as high-level goal scoring when it really mattered in things like the World Juniors when he was playing against the best players of his own age group, so I am a little concerned about Cole Caulfield, and I hope he does great because you know good players are great for the league. But it seems like uh, he's the savior of the Habs, and I am a little concerned about where that's going and and
0: uh, whether that's really something they can pull off. All right, you backed that up pretty well. It was a it was a hot take that I just saw saw online, and I wanted to throw it at you, but you came back with a lot of good reasons. So I'll uh, I can get behind that for sure. I thought maybe it was just a a play to try and troll some Habs fans, but no, you've got you've got good reasoning behind it.
1: Still, <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of my concern is the Habs organization themselves. Like, I I just don't know what they're doing is sustainable because a lot of the players who are kind of executing their new style aren't long term players in their system, and like I can't see Kokonyemi and Suzuki being like grind it out type physical guys and those are the guys of the future on this team they're just in a weird transition phase and we've seen how teams can definitely take a step back from that
0: yeah and I think you're right it is it's always dangerous taking a young guy and throwing him in like top line or trying to get him get him to be the savior of your team like they're kind of touting him to be that because then as as soon as he's not, that's a big blow to his confidence, right? And that can be dangerous for any young player.
1: And he's a smart young player. There's no way he doesn't know that the Habs are having trouble scoring and they're hoping that he can solve that problem. That's a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah, especially when they're expecting to go up against the Leafs in the first round of the playoffs, right? Like it's, Like the Leafs are a team that are able to score a lot, right? So you have to score a lot to play against them.
1: Yeah, like, I I believe the Habs are a lot better defensively, but in a seven-game series against the Leafs, if you're going to come out on top, there's going to be at least one game where you're going to have to score four or five goals to win. And that's where I'm kind of concerned if I'm a Habs fan.
0: Yeah, although that being said, right now I'm kind of concerned as a Leafs fan because Suzuki seems to have turned it on over the past couple games. He scored, what, three points in two games now?
1: Yeah, and I, I think he's a great player, honestly. Like, uh, He's had numbers all the way through his career, similar to Caulfield, but it, it, it's hard to come up in the NHL and play center ice. And in the playoffs, it doesn't get any nicer. I'm just kind of worried about their ability to possess the puck and, and things like that. Hopefully that's not as big of a concern uh, because – We've seen in both these organizations, the Leafs and the Habs, that it's difficult to come upon a number one center. So hopefully one of those guys in their system is one, um, but that's yet to be seen. We're going to need some more time to figure out whether those guys are really at that level.
0: Yeah. All right, that's enough hockey talk. I just wanted to throw that in there a little bit, but we can move on and let's talk about the Jays. The Jays have started off their season – pretty well. Um they're above 500. They're 14 and 12 now. Second in the AL East just behind Boston, who has also played two more games than the Jays. They're playing well. They're kind of they're playing at a level where people actually expected them to play rather than not living up to expectations and it's kind of nice to see from the Jays because we haven't had that in a while with the Jays team. Yeah, my only concern with the Jays right now
1: is they're doing something that I've I've seen with a lot of other teams that I care about including the Leafs where they beat the teams that they're not supposed to beat or the really really good teams and they tend to underestimate the teams that they should take seriously and make sure they get those points. Obviously, it's early in the season, but that's something I am a little concerned about. They'll drop a couple games to a team below 500 and then Uh, beat a team like the Yankees you don't expect them to beat I just I don't understand I don't know that that's a sustainable thing and I think good teams take advantage of weaker teams when they have the opportunity so if I'm a a big Jays fan then that's what I want to see kind of moving forward is continue to beat the good teams because obviously that proves you are a good team but you have to take advantage of the quote unquote easy points when you have an opportunity and that is something that the Jays have been a little bit wonky on at the start of
0: the season. Well and I I'm wondering then if them losing to the lesser teams that they like the teams that should be beating is in part because of their lack of pitching depth. In the sense of when they get to those games against those lesser teams, they're just gonna be playing the bottom half of that of the lineup instead of your top guys that they're obviously going to play against the better teams.
1: Yeah. and, And that's something we talked about at the beginning of the year that we weren't sure their pitching depth was there, but it has been said a bunch of times. And I think it's a good point to make that at least if they're kind of in the fight, Closer to the deadline, when guys become available because teams are underperforming, you can get guys, but you're not going to do that if you're on the cusp. You got to be in the fight in order to make that worthwhile. So the Jays are hanging around, which means they will be able to make a move to get some good players, and and that's important. Um, every year there's a team that kind of underachieves that ends up moving a big piece. So. Hopefully the Jays can continue doing what they're doing and be in on a guy that can really make an impact.
0: Yeah, I think if they want to get anywhere in the postseason, they have to be. Because, like, you, you can't rely on Ryu, Mats, and Robbie Ray to carry you through the whole season because we, we've seen it already this season. After those three guys, there's a big drop-off. And, I mean, Robbie Ray's been out for a little while now and Matt's probably can't maintain the pace that he's at right now because he's a little older. Ryu's out on, he's on IR right now. There's a significant drop-off after those top three or four pitchers, and it's causing the Jays to have to almost do a f- rotation, including the the bullpen. They're going to the bullpen after four innings, and then pitchers are doing one or two innings and then flipping out and and switching out and switching out. And they're really bouncing around guys during games instead of having a few solid guys that can give you lots of innings. They're really spreading themselves thin.
1: Yeah, I'm a little concerned about the amount they've already went to the bullpen. Obviously, baseball is a super long season, and I just don't know that this is sustainable. I would be interested to see, though, like a guy like Ryan Barucki, who has been a starter before. Like, can we consistently get two innings out of him in relief? There's a couple converted starters in the bullpen this year. Uh, younger guys who maybe haven't been stretched out or they tried to stretch them out and they ran into injury problems. It'd be interesting to me to see the Jays kind of go after, like, a two-inning reliever strategy where saw a guy, like, similar to Barucki, who has been a starter and you know, had a little bit of injury problems. Can he go like inning five and six? Uh obviously it doesn't happen as often anymore, but it's something the Jays maybe need to consider
0: because of the position they're in. Yeah, and that might be a good way too to get some of these guys that are injured right now back from injury and slowly work them back into the rotation. Like a Nate Pearson, that'd be a great strategy for him to get back into the rotation, get a little bit of work in before throwing him right into the starting rotation, right?
1: Yeah, and I think honestly it would be good for the Jays fans too. Like here's here's something this guy is still going to be useful for if he doesn't end up being a everyday starter or an ace, which people think he might be able to be. It's it's important to show that guys have value when things don't go Exactly the way you planned. I think fan bases sometimes run out pretty good talent because it didn't end up being as good as they were supposed to be. But a lot of guys are still really serviceable and you should be happy with what you have. And I think uh, Pearson does concern me a little bit that maybe he, uh, like we drafted him where we drafted him because of injuries and he's continually had some injury problems. So I think maybe we warm Jays fans up to the idea that even if this guy isn't a high-end starter, he's going to have a lot of value on this team.
0: Yeah, I think you have to do that. You have to find roles for the guys that you already have on the team. That's just how you make a team work, especially in baseball, where your roster is significantly larger than hockey or basketball, right? You have so many guys, you have to find places for them to work. Yeah, and and the solution always is we'll just go out and get somebody. But then if you
1: go out and get that guy, it doesn't work out. For the next five years, we're talking about who got drafted with that pick or whatever. So like you really can't win in the eyes of some fans. And I think people need to take a step back and sometimes realize that a guy can still be really effective and really important when they don't meet the ceiling that you had for them at one time. I feel like I always go back to the Leafs because it's my comfort zone, but a lot of people were super happy with Kadri as a third-line center. But any serious Leaf fan knows that's not what the plan was when we picked him. And yeah. I think it takes a good coach, and it takes a strong player to reinvent themselves. But a guy who has the character to reinvent themselves and be effective
0: is a guy you want in your locker room. So speaking of guys that have reinvented themselves a little bit, let's talk about Vladdy. Man, he's been unreal this year. He has just been great to watch because you can see how much more energy he has in the play with that with forty pounds off, right? Like it it has made such a significant difference, not just at the plate, but like defensively as well. He's jumping around a lot more he's able to make those double plays and get back to the bag if it's thrown off a lot faster than he was before yeah i actually saw him catch
1: a couple foul balls for outs that's not something i would even consider last year i wouldn't have wanted him to get that far away from the bag if i'm gonna be super honest yeah the other thing is he's actually made some really good plays on double plays and at different times He's actually stretched out to make throws that um, didn't have any business being a double play into a double play. You're starting to see his athleticism defensively, not just at the plate. And I think if you're a Jays fan, that's really exciting.
0: Yeah. Well, even just look, looking at his stats a little bit, he's got 21 double plays on the season already. They're, what, 20, little over 20 games in. And in the 60-game season last year, he had 23 double plays, so he's already at the same level that he was at last year this early in the season, which I think that's, that just goes to show how hard he worked in the offseason to really improve his game, and it's paying off. It really is. And, which, that's great. Oh, no, go ahead.
1: I'm actually kind of blown away, to be honest. He's shown a lot of strides, and Kevin Biggio has struggled at Third and Vladdy still hasn't got a look. So I don't know whether that carrot they're dangling in front of him is actually an option of getting back to being a third baseman, but it doesn't look like it is right now because it's not like uh, Bizio is playing so well at third that you can't possibly move Vladdy there.
0: No, but they've had, oh, was it Espinal coming into third once in a while to? replaced yeah, Biggio which has looked good. And yeah, he's looked really good. And at the plate, he's batting at a, with a three fifty average right now, which is unreal for a guy at the bottom of the lineup. Espinal has been really making a case for himself with Biggio having a weak start.
1: And Biggio is kind of a utility player. He can move around. He's got enough athleticism to play just about anywhere yeah. in a baseball game. That is exciting. And you're seeing Biggio's bat heat up. So I'm hoping that With some confidence, he can kind of get back to what the Jays expected him to be.
0: Yeah, I think he will. He's out right now, but I I almost wonder if that's sort of, uh, here, take a few games off, find your confidence, get some training in, and come back to the lineup and see if you can find your game again. Because we've seen that before with players where you just give them a couple days off and that's enough to just give them a kick in the ass to get to start their game.
1: Yeah, and and you know what? It's getting kind of brushed over how young the Blue Jays are right now because they're playing so well. You're talking about the struggles of of guys who are the age that they could still be prospects in some major league systems, but they're not. They're everyday major leaguers for the Jays, and I think that's good for the long run. So, like, let's just take a step back and –
0: And think about how exciting it is. This team is this young and this good. So talking about how young the team is, right? When, if you you were the Jays GM, when would you try and lock guys like Bo and Vlad up? They're still just on short-term deals right now. And they're going to want to get paid. I guarantee that they're going to want money. And they've been playing well enough that they deserve that money. But do you make the call to say, okay, these are our franchise players, we're gonna lock them up for term and give them all the money they want. Sort of like the Tatis Jr. deal that they've they've compared Vladdy with that deal, right? Do you think is that something that the Jays are gonna do? I if I was the Jays, I would, but if we look back on the history, they don't really have a reputation to lock the lock guys up for long term like that.
1: I think that the reputation, you're right, says that they won't do that, but I can't remember the last time they were looking at a team that was this young when we were talking about that. A lot of guys wanted to lock up guys uh, the previous time we went to the playoffs, uh, Donaldson and, and different players of that era. And Let's be honest. If we'd have locked those guys up when the fans were calling for it, we would be a bottom feeder in the league right now, and I think I think the right decision was made. I wouldn't say that we're not going to lock these guys up just because we didn't lock up guys that were, you know, in the twilight years of their career or closer to the end than the beginning, to say the least. I think if you're the Jays, Vladi and Bo, you have to lock them up. They're on fire right now. You can't take the risk of them being even a quarter better than they are next year, because that's going to be millions and millions of dollars. I also kind of like, like we we saw that Kirk got optioned back to the alternate site. They're playing well enough right now that they don't have to rush guys like that. Um, Obviously he has some things that the team likes. I think he's going to be a great player, but there's no need to rush guys just because we've had good luck with Vladdy and Bo and how fast they've progressed, I I think it's fair to say that those guys are anomalies as far as how prospects develop in baseball. So because the Jays are playing so well, they can take a step back and handle other prospects a little more carefully so that this team can continue to build
0: what looks like it's going to be a really dominant core. Yeah. I think you're right and they've done that with Rowdy Teles too. They sent him him back to the uh alternate site just to keep working on his game. Um, and I think the like minor leagues are starting up back up again soon, so it'll be good to for the Jays to have teams playing that they can send guys to to actually play games, not just play mock games and practice and train, right? Games. Yeah.
1: So the tell- this thing did scare me because he's one of the few lefties that the Jays have, uh, and definitely one of the few that are definitely a major league quality player. And I really expected this year to be different for Rowdy, but we've seen him be really streaky before he could take a step back and go get his game right and end up being really important to the Jays later on in the season, like I said the longest season in pro sports. So there's lots of time to get players who aren't playing well headed back in the right direction. And then it looks like that's what the Jays are trying to do.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a luxury to be in that position, to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. Similar to uh, what the Leafs tried to do with Galchenyuk, just because nobody else had really had the opportunity to, you know, put him back to square one and really say, like, let's just rediscover your game and, and let's not try to force it too much. I think uh, that doesn't – a lot of players don't get that opportunity or they give up on themselves uh, before that opportunity arises. So I, I think it's it's big for the player if they can actually take advantage of that opportunity. If Telez leaves and comes back and is – an impact player for the Jays and really seizes this opportunity, then nobody really thinks twice about it and everyone's really excited to have him on the team. So I I think that's the right mentality.
0: Yeah. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if we've seen the last of Roark either. They've sent him down to the alternate facility to just train and stuff, but I'm wondering if that's almost more of a find your confidence because you're not as bad as you've been to start the season kind of thing
1: I'm a little concerned about his like lack of other pitches at this point like when he was in for the Jays it seemed like he only had really one effective pitch that is kind of concerning
0: yeah that's I don't know if it's the right call to try and bring him back but I'm worried that the with our pitching depth right now that's something that they're going to try instead of going out and getting another guy, is just let him work on himself and then bring him back, see how he does, and then last resort is trade away an asset to pick somebody new up.
1: Well, like, they've already paid him the money, and I don't think anyone's going to be lining up to get the Jays out of this situation. So the best they can do is try to salvage um, what they can from a guy who has been a, a good player before. Yeah. And honestly, we talked about it to start at the beginning of the year. He was one of the pitchers I highlighted and doing a little digging, I kinda saw him as a guy like that the Blue Jays wanted to just go out there and, you know, be able to pitch into the seventh inning, but maybe not be absolutely lights out, but to be able to handle that type of situation. And the Jays really need that guy. Not many of their starters are going deep and they have the offense to allow him to just be okay and get wins. So if he can right his ship, it could be big for him and the Jays.
0: Yeah, and that's one guy that has gone a lot deeper than he has in the past is Ryu. And that's at the start of the season. That's what I had said. He needs to work on that. He needs to be into the sixth and seventh inning to really be that ace. And he has been, I think. For the most part, he's gone into the 6th and 7th this season. I think his first game, maybe he went into the 5th. But other than that, he's had a lot more endurance and longevity in the game, which is really important because the Jays just don't have that in any of their other pitchers, like you said.
1: Uh, honestly, like a lot of people are going on about how that might have something to do with the injury. I think they're looking for, for something to be bitter about. I think if you were to talk to both the Jays and Hunjin Ryu, he would have said that this is what he wanted coming into the season. I think he understands uh, that he's the guy with the Blue Jays, and I think he actually wants to be the guy. He looks good as the guy. He doesn't seem to be too stressed out being the guy, and and, uh, this injury doesn't seem like it's career-altering, so... If he gets back and and wants to keep trying to go deep, I think it's in the Blue Jays' best interest to let him try. Yeah.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree with that.
1: Also, I think a lot of guys who were kind of negative about the contract when the Blue Jays signed it, there's, there's a lot of fans in Major League Baseball that would be okay if their team signed this deal based on how he's played last year and at the start of this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's another guy that has worked hard to really improve his game with the Jays.
1: And I honestly will always have a soft spot for him saying that he was bringing 99 back to Canada. I like that.
0: Yeah. He really kind
1: of caught my attention with that. Like, that. I don't know who his PR guy was, but that guy deserves a raise because that got me right (laughs) in the Canadian fields.
0: So the other big story surrounding the Jays right now is – The Roberto Alomar story that has come out that there was sexual misconduct in 2014 between Roberto Alomar and another member of the staff. The MLB came out after this six year investigation and has said, We're not going to associate ourselves with you. And the Jays have done the same. They've removed his name from Legends Row in the Rogers Center. And they are no longer associating themselves with him whatsoever what's your what's your thought on the thoughts on this whole situation
1: you know what it, it doesn't really surprise me um did the blue jays have distanced themselves from this they were quick to move on from roberto osuna i think the blue jays are very aware that they're in a different political climate being in canada and they're going to be held accountable for the people they associate themselves with. And I think that's big. I, I hope that they continue to work with that. I hope that they don't change that philosophy where they find a player big enough and good enough uh, that they'll overlook something like this. I think it is tough on the history of the Jays. They've only retired two numbers, and, and now one of them is is disgraced. And that, that's kind of tough. Um, we're talking about a guy who in my parents' eyes, was the Toronto Blue Jays. So it's really tough to get news like this, that uh, this guy isn't who you would have wanted him to be. But in the other side of things, if they had tried to sweep it under the rug, I'd have been more disappointed and it would be harder to move on from. So I think that this is the right strategy, it, it just sucks for a franchise that is so new as far as major league baseball goes that a guy that was so impactful on the field turns out not to be what you thought he was
0: he's one of the few jays that's in the hall of fame with a jays hat on right um so yeah i think you're right he is he's the face of that or 92 93 championship run so it is. It's really hard, but I think that they did make the right call in distancing themselves.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I, I have no respect for that, and I I don't think I don't think anyone else does either. the The world is changing fast, and it's going in the right direction. Um. And unfortunately, some of our heroes aren't really heroes. We've heard this a million times, and uh, this is just a good reminder that. Not everybody is what they look like um, on the TV screen. And it sucks for the Blue Jays, but they they made the right decision, I think, moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I I do give them credit, too, for waiting until they got all of the information from the investigation first. And then, as soon as they did, acted quickly and decisively and said, Nope, information's there. That's enough. We don't need any more. Done.
1: And I I think that actually has something to do with the Roberto Osuna situation. They did take a little bit of heat for not really allowing due process to come out before they uh, just traded Osuna and moved along. Yeah. But I I think I'm not even going to condemn that move, but I think that this was just them learning from that previous uh, little bit of a mistake and, really making sure that this is the proper way to do things. But they hit the nail on the head with as far as what you have to do when something like this comes along.
0: Yeah. All right. I don't think there's much else to say about that situation. That kind of... No. Just mention it. It's better to acknowledge a situation like that than ignore it, right?
1: Yeah. And I think with some of the other things you said in the podcast, it goes along with kind of our our narrative that sports aren't just like super masculine. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, all this news with Aaron Rodgers, whether he stays, whether he goes and whether he retires. Uh, What's your take? Do you think he's going to be playing in the NFL coming off this MVP season?
0: I think he will. I think that he will still be in green Bay. Um, I think he's going to, they're going to figure something out. Although now there's, there's more coming out in, in him saying that he doesn't want to play for their current GM. So it's a matter of them moving, changing GMs, which I don't know if they're going to do, but honestly, at this point, if I'm green Bay, I think you trade him for what you can get.
1: So I, I kind of agree with what you're saying about trading them for what you can get. I just don't know how Packers fans are supposed to react to that. The guy wins an MVP in a year that you drafted a quarterback where you could have drafted someone that would actually been on the field, helped him be successful. Maybe you could have had more of an impact in the playoffs. So I think there's going to be a lot of questions for, for Packers fans if they do move
0: on from Aaron Rodgers. Well, that and that's I think the Packers PR team needs to to make the fans happy and to make it all work would have to make Aaron Rodgers enemy number one. They would really have to go against him and say, "Look, he's the one that wants to leave. He's the one that doesn't want to be here. We need to move on from him. And here's Kevin Love. Here's our saving grace because he was the, he was a oh." What was that? You're kind of.
1: (laughs) You said Kevin Love, but you meant Jordan Love.
0: Yep, I sure did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit!
0: Yeah, but but here's Jordan Love. Here's this first round pick, huge, set to be a huge star that's sitting behind Aaron Rodgers. So why not just turn that narrative into your favor? go look we're moving on from this guy let's give our young guy a chance and see what he can do they obviously wouldn't have drafted him if they didn't think that he had what it takes to be Aaron Rodgers replacement so why not just move on a little sooner than you would have otherwise
1: yeah I I can agree with that I also think it's a win-win for Aaron Rodgers if you stay it means the team made the adjustments you wanted them to make that you think are going to be make you successful which means the ball's in your court as far as performing this next season if you're still a Packer. But also, Tom Brady proved that he just moved to the Bucks and there was enough players that wanted to play with an elite-level quarterback uh, that he ended up winning the Super Bowl. So, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you should come off an MVP season. Who's not going to want to play with you? I think you can go wherever you want and be successful to a certain degree if the Packers aren't willing to play ball. I think he has a lot of pull. He's shown last year that he's still an elite-level quarterback. So if he stays with the Packers, it means he got what he wanted. He got the tools in which he thinks he needs to win a Super Bowl. And if he didn't stay with the Packers, Tom Brady proved that you – can go somewhere else and be successful relatively quickly if you're an elite level quarterback and you can convince enough other highly skilled players to come and commit to what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think what makes me think that he might stay in green Bay that might, that green Bay might like fold to his the power that he holds over them essentially. And just find the pieces. But I think if he actually wanted to stay in green Bay, he would have come out with this news a week or two before the draft, right? Coming out with it on draft day makes it really hard for green Bay to actually react and go, oh, okay, well then let's work this out and we'll keep you here and we'll draft this, all of these tools that you have at your disposal rather than now he came out on draft day when they already had all their drafts picked and they knew what they wanted and kind of throws a wrench into the whole process, right?
1: Yeah, now I would assume that his like his conversations with them came out a little like happened a little sooner than it came out in the media, so I have to wonder if that wasn't more of an ultimatum,
0: yeah, that's true like it, listen you know movie. who
1: I think we should take. Yeah, you know who I think we should take in the first round. And if I see that guy on our roster next year, I'm more likely to be here. And if I don't, then we might have a problem.
0: Yeah. Well, and I wonder if one of the demands that he has is move Jordan Love because I don't want that pressure. I just want to be able to play my game, own this team, and not have to worry about this young guy coming up behind me so that after next season, I know you're going to move me because he's going to be there. Right. So I wonder if that's one of been one of his demands as well. Obviously we don't know for sure yet, but I think there's potential for that to be a a fact.
1: No, but you saw that with Tom Brady and, and Jimmy Garoppolo. He just said, listen, like either this guy's here, this guy's gone or I'm gone. and, the owner basically folded and they moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo. So I, I could see how having another high level quarterback creates a problem. If Jordan love is playing lights out in practice and you're another player on the team and you think Aaron Rodgers is good, but you think also part of what he's doing has to do with how good your system is. It's, it might be frustrating to sit there and know that you might have a better opportunity with the other guy in. So if the other guy's not there,
0: that no longer exists. Yeah. So I, what do you think? Do you think they move on or do they keep him? What, what do you think is realistically going to happen?
1: I think they keep him. If you move on from a guy like that, you better hope that that other guy you got behind him is just as much of a franchise quarterback as he was before. And I don't think you're going to be able to do uh, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, franchise quarterback, franchise quarterback, franchise quarterback. So you might want to figure this out and and stick with the guy you got while you got him because there's an awful lot of teams in the NFL who have been searching for a franchise quarterback for a long time and we'll keep doing it. So while you have one, I think you should, should keep them and use them
0: till the last possible moment. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So obviously that's still a developing story. We don't know everything about it yet, but uh, we'll keep, uh, keep listening to it for sure. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with it. Obviously we're seeing in the NBA, players have really demanded who they play with. And now I think we're seeing that sort of mentality coming into the NFL as well. We saw it with Brady. And now I think that was sort of the start, of, like a, a tipping point where the players are going, no, this is something I need because I want to win a championship. So you make this happen for me instead of it being the other way around. And the general manager is really dictating everything.
1: I also like we're throwing it back a few episodes here, but I think it's getting pretty close to what we were talking about with Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh. If you have a guy that's that good of a mind for the sport, Sidney Crosby, Aaron Rodgers, you're not you're doing yourself a disservice by not taking what he has to say into account. You can look at everything you can see from the press box, but in reality,
0: I'm sure he's seeing things on the field that you're not seeing. Yeah. All right, I guess let's talk about the NFL draft. It just happened this past weekend. Trevor Lawrence was the odds-on favorite to go number one. He went number one. He's likely a franchise quarterback. There's so much... Uh, news surrounding this kid Um, so there's so much news surrounding this kid he went to Jacksonville number one overall Jacksonville obviously needed that quarterback, he's going to probably slot right in and play next season what do you think of Trevor Lawrence? Honestly if I'm a team like Jacksonville
1: who struggled with an identity for a while this guy is Absolutely a heaven sent. You get this guy, he's a five star prospect going into college. He goes into college. he's an undefeated season as a freshman. He's everything you expected and more. And he hasn't even touched the NFL yet. There's absolutely no reason to suspect this guy's going to slow down. Jacksonville needs to do what they can do uh, in order to build a system around him that'll keep him safe and healthy while. He transitions into the pro game, and that's on them. I'm pretty sure from what we've seen from Trevor Lawrence, you're going to get what you're going to get, which is a, a high level competitive quarterback. He's a pretty stereotypical pro style quarterback. He's not running around, he's not super fancy. Some of those guys have been attracting attention uh, a lot in the past two years. Um, Lamar Jackson and and guys like that, they're flashy. They're fun to watch. Um, similar to similar to other sports, though, there there's just a certain role sometimes that you need your franchise player to play. And I think we've seen it with Tom Brady. He doesn't run around. He doesn't do all that fancy stuff. And he wins championships. I think that's what you're getting in Trevor Lawrence is a classic-style quarterback with a high-level amount of talent, who's uh, performed at every level. On top of that, you look at the guy. He's tall. He's got long hair. He's just something you can build your brand around. He's got a great brand already. And for a team like Jacksonville who really needs an exciting brand, a face to their organization, that guy's recognizable. You're never going to forget him. He didn't cut his hair before he got drafted so he can't cut it now till after he retires but I think that's great. I think it's a great image and I think it's a a great player to build your
0: organization around. Yeah. Um and I think like he's been the face of a franchise, maybe not an NFL franchise, but he's been a face, face of a franchise since he was 14 playing in high school. He came out and was immediately a representative of his entire city, not just his high school, right? Because obviously, like, American football, high school football is significantly bigger than Canadian. He's been in the spotlight since he was 14, and he's had that hair since he was 14. And there has been a Twitter account dedicated to his hair since he was 16. (laughs) So there's no chance he's cutting yeah. the hair anytime soon because that's a big part of his identity. Um, and it's just – it's fun, right?
1: Well, this is huge for the – like, forget Jacksonville. This is huge for the NFL if this guy is as good as a lot of people say he's going to be. That is a super recognizable, marketable player if he continues to rock the hair and continues to do what he, he's done – This is an incredibly marketable player, and coming out of COVID, all the pro leagues can uh, use a little extra money and uh, definitely work on their branding when they can start bringing more fans into the buildings again. So this is a huge opportunity for Jacksonville. This is a huge opportunity for the NFL,
0: and most importantly, it's a huge opportunity for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I gotta say, if I'm a Jags fan right now, I'm pretty excited because they just got number one quarterback obviously he's a franchise player but they also just signed urban meyer who is he's a coach that has never coached in the nfl but has an enormous record in the ncaa um he's won three national titles with two separate teams and has a record of 148 and 24 in his career in the ncaa so you're getting a coach and a quarterback that can really lead a team with smart play and they can develop together and really tie their brands together, much like we saw Belichick and, and Tom Brady do in New England. And and I think that's really interesting for, like you said, not only the Jaguars, but the entire league. It's a really cool cool thing to watch develop how how their relationship will grow together
1: and it, it's a
0: being the coach
1: of this guy if it goes well it changes your entire career too it's like wow you know what they didn't win a championship but look at trevor lawrence living up to what everyone thought he is and then that's another couple years as a coach in the nfl we all know how this works if you get in with the right people and uh, especially with a guy with so much talent like Trevor Lawrence, it can change everyone involved in his career, his career moving forward and their own career in professional sports. Just being on a team that's successful, more of those guys become head coaches, uh, head coaches continue to get contracts even after they maybe don't perform because a couple years ago, you know, they had Trevor Lawrence and they did really well. So, both guys really need to seize the opportunity. You, you never really know how many shots that you're going to get. So if you have a chance to coach a guy like this, you got to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, if I'm a Jaguars fan, I'm pretty excited about the future of this team. Obviously, there's still some weaknesses on the team. Their O-line isn't the best. Their defense can still improve. But you've got the core there. You can always add pieces around it. And that's, that's huge for this team. They're definitely on the right path to improving and finding themselves back in the playoffs and maybe back in a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, I love
1: seeing teams get franchise players. doesn't matter what sport. It just it gets me excited. I want to see how he's going to change the game, uh, whether he's going to live up to that expectations. I love watching people develop. So it's exciting time for the NFL.
0: So the other thing that I was watching when I was watching the draft is keep my eye out for Canadian players. Obviously, there's not a whole lot of Canadians in the NFL right now, but this year tied the record for most Canadians drafted in the NFL with four. <laughs> so Brett and I each picked a Canadian, and we want to just highlight – highlight those players and bring your attention to them so that when you're watching games, you can keep an eye on your hometown players. Brett, do you want to go first with yours?
1: Yeah, I I actually chose to Hubbard for my player. Uh, I watched him a lot last year. I was really excited with what he did. Honestly, this year was a little bit of a letdown for him. He won the John Cornish trophy in 2019 is the top Canadian player in the NCAA, there were talks in Canada about him being in the Heisman conversation. I think that was a little bit elevated here because he was our guy and we wanted to get behind him. I don't know how realistic that was, but even for a Canadian to, to start generating those headlines is, is so huge. He came out of Alberta, which is, uh, you definitely see the CFL's influence in provinces outside of Ontario more. So I'm really excited to see where this guy goes. He slipped in the draft a little bit more than I would have expected, but he he really plays an interesting game, and he's put up yards on multiple occasions in the NCAA. So this year was a little bit of a setback for him, but I really think he has the opportunity to be an impact player in the NFL, and maybe he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, uh, with a lot of people saying that if he had declared for
0: the draft last year, he'd been picked higher. Yeah, and who's he playing for now? or who is who is he drafted by
1: so he was drafted by the carolina panthers the other thing to note is everyone heard about trace claypool last year if you're a canadian and uh tuba hubbard actually edged him out last year for the john gornish award so this is a guy who actually looked really good last season who struggled a little bit this year and I honestly think that it might be better for him to not, you know, be the guy. He's got to come in and, you know, he is the future of the running back position on his team. Uh, Ultimately, guys don't want to slip in the draft, but it might be a big opportunity for
0: him to prove that he can be the guy that people thought he was going to be last year. Yeah, and you never know, too. Sometimes you slip in the draft, but then... Just by stroke of luck, you actually end up on a better team because of it, right? Because the top teams that are drafting are going to be teams that really need a player because they're not very good teams. They've been losing. Whereas if you're drafted to a team that you can slide into a team that's already good, sometimes that's a chance to just improve your game even more and elevate yourself to the level of that team rather than trying to elevate the team to the level of you. And that's a, it's a huge opportunity for a guy.
1: Yeah, nobody's expecting him to come in and be the savior. So I think he just has to go in and play his game. And the other thing about it is uh, not that the CFL is the ultimate opportunity for these guys, but there's always going to be a spot in the CFL for this guy with what he's been able to do in the NCAA level. So the pressure is on him differently than it might be somebody else where they're like, "Okay, hey, if I don't make it in the NFL, where am I going to go?" This guy knows that he has another opportunity, so the pressure is on him to stay in the NFL, not to, you know, not end up with a regular job. And I think that's a little bit different. Uh, he's going to he's going to continue to be committed to football either way. So um, his motivations are a little bit different and that should take a little bit of pressure off the guy
0: yeah all right so the Canadian that I picked to highlight was Javon Holland he's a safety and a nickelback he's kind of a utility defender can play a lot of different roles on defense he was drafted 34th overall by the Miami Dolphins and I think he's a really interesting player he actually played he was a receiver in high school and then went to college in Oregon and switched to being a defender he knows the mindset of the people that he's defending and that's really given him a really high football IQ in the sense that he's able to anticipate plays better he's really quick to quick on his feet and thinks fast and in 2019 he was a semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe award which is the best defensive back in the ncaa so i think that's huge like he didn't win it but he was the semi finalist and there's obviously enough skill with this guy that he was drafted 34th overall that's still fairly high um he was the highest drafted canadian in this draft and everything i've read about the guy is that he's just a really smart player out there he's maybe not the fastest guy he maybe doesn't hit the hardest but He's going to read the play and really know what's going to happen before it happens sort of thing. And on defense, that's everything you need, especially when you're defending against the throw because you've got to see where that ball is going before it gets there so you can be in the way. Um, I
1: think what you said about intelligence is super important too. Uh, if, For example, if you're the fastest guy in your draft, how long are you going to be the fastest guy in the league? You might, get, you might be the fastest guy in your draft and get to the league, and you're, you're already not the fastest guy. So some of these guys who have that high-level intelligence to me, that they tend to stick it out a little bit longer because you know, they' never had the high-end speed, or they never had the ridiculous athletic ability. It was a combination of those things, and, and the smarts are going to continue to progress. So when other guys are starting to regress because maybe they're not as fast as they used to be, uh, intelligent players tend to be able to hang around a little bit longer.
0: Yeah. And you can teach athleticism. Like you can train your body to go faster. That's just a matter of physically working. It's really hard to teach a natural football IQ that you just learn from playing and from like from experiencing the game and having experienced the game from an offensive perspective and now a defensive defensive perspective, I think that just gives him an edge over the players that he's trying to defend. Yeah. I can totally agree with that. Yeah. That's all I really got on this guy. He's like, I think he's going to be a good player. Um, Keep an eye on Miami. Obviously Miami is a growing franchise right now. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the lineup this year. Yeah, they actually really embraced uh,
1: getting younger with Tua last year. So uh, they think they have their quarterback, so they're looking into filling all the pieces around him, And safeties are very important. So if this guy can stick it out, uh, he might actually have a great career for a Canadian in the NFL because the Dolphins look to be an up-and-coming team. If you'd have told me two years ago I was going to say that, uh, I'd have told you
0: you were crazy, but things change fast, especially in the NFL. Alright, so sticking with our hometown Canadians, we've got another compelling Canucks story for you guys today. Today we're going to be looking into Brooke Henderson, who is an all-star golfer. She is Canada's winningest golfer ever, male or female, with Ten PGA or LPGA wins. She's just got an unreal career ahead of her because she's only twenty three. Um, so I'm really excited to to talk about her a little bit because she's really developing into something special and could be one of the top women. Or well, she's already one of the top women golfers in the world right now but could go down as one of the top women golfers ever, which is really cool because she's Canadian, right? Like it's Canada doesn't really have that pedigree with golf, but she, but Brooke Henderson has come out onto the scene and gone, well, yes, we do now because I'm, I'm going to go down as potentially a legendary golfer.
1: I think the real exciting part about that is, too, like you said, she's 23 years old. Um, Golf isn't one of those sports where you necessarily have to break in at a young age to go down as one of the best ever. Um, Obviously, lots of them have. uh, But she come in at a young age. She faltered in Canadians' eyes because we saw her get so close when she was so young. Uh, in different championships and things like that. But the reality is she's already getting it done. She's 23 years old. Golf isn't a sport where you're washed up very fast. There's only one way this can go, and it's up. There's not a ton of injury concerns. I did a deep dive on that. I didn't want to get you guys too, too excited and then be like, you know, I'm not really sure that she's going to be a long-term player. This is a player you're going to be able to watch for a long time. And honestly, you should start now because we know how Canadians feel about supporting their own athletes. And this is one you can get behind and watch her win and watch her dominate. So get behind Brooke Henderson now. Well, um, you have the opportunity because, let's be honest, when was the last time Canadians got to be really excited about golf?
0: Yeah, I got like Mike Weir maybe, and even still, he was exciting a little bit, and then fell off a cliff, and then actually just won again yesterday, so he's back in the winner circle. But, um, but yeah, Brooke Henderson is continuously in the win in the winner circle. She hasn't really fallen off that much. She started off her career winning, um, when she was eighteen, in in twenty fifteen. And from 2015 to 2019, she won two tournaments a year consistently, or at least two tournaments a year consistently. And then she did fall off for a little bit. She, had, um, she hadn't she had won in two years, but I was reading that through those two years, she was working with her sister, who is also her caddy, and trying new grips, trying new, new strategies, new ways to see the green and read your lie. And that's sort of why she fell off is because she was trying to change her game to build more consistency because she wasn't content with just two wins a year. She wanted more. She wanted to win every tournament. Obviously winning every tournament is an unrealistic goal, but she wanted to really be in that upper echelon of golfers and winning frequently. So she took a step back a little bit to try and adjust her game and hadn't won in two years, and then, was it? I think it was last weekend, won her first tournament back. And it's really exciting, because she's still just on an upward trajectory. She's fifth in the world right now, even though she hadn't won in two years. So that just tells you something about her drive, and how good of a golfer she is, and how naturally talented she she really is.
1: In many sports, we've seen people live and die by the one thing they're, they're really good, good at, whether it be, uh, in any sport, whether it's speed or, or smarts, you know, they don't try to go out and do something necessarily different because, you know, this is what got me here. I'm going to just stick with it. And I think there's got to be something said about Brooke Henderson's character that, that she's willing to you take a step back and reinvent yourself like that. Be like, listen, I'm only 20-something years old, and if I figure this out right now with what I can already do, the sky's the limit for me. And a lot of athletes can't do that. Can't do it, won't do it, don't know how to do it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of all those things. But the reality is, Nobody really takes into account how big of a deal it is when people do that and are successful, and and I think you're going to see that in Brooke Henderson in the future.
0: Yeah, I think we are. And the other thing that's great about her, too, is that she's already represented Canada at the Olympics in Rio in 2016. She placed seventh, but I would imagine she's going back to the Summer Olympics in Japan this summer if they happen, to represent Canada again. And I would imagine she'll do even better because in 2016, she was only 19. She was still finding her game and to play on the world stage and still come seventh in the tournament is huge. Um, So I'm excited for this summer to see if she chooses to go over to Japan to play and to see how good she will be this summer.
1: I'm I'm excited to see her go play. I did read something that, uh, depending on COVID and different things, that she wasn't completely sold on doing it yet. But the big thing we've seen over and over is that Canadians love representing their country. So I think if it's safe and she's healthy, we're gonna get to see her there. That's a huge opportunity for Canadians. Obviously, summer sports aren't normally our thing. Like we do well, but we get way more fired up for the winter Olympics and it's important to have not only Canadians doing well in non-traditional Canadian sports, but women doing well in non-traditional Canadian sports. Canada has some of the best athletes in the world and we don't necessarily do the best job of letting our athletes explore our non-traditional sports and stars like Brooke Henderson Lead to more people stepping outside of the traditional sports in Canada.
0: yeah, I'm really excited to watch her develop even more. I think that she she really has the potential to be an icon in Canadian sport in general, not just as a golfer. I feel like she could she embodies. Canada as a whole and her drive to win and her drive to grow as a player is really something that a lot of Canadian athletes have sort of born and bred into them. Like even in hockey you hear like the tough Saskatchewan boy kind of thing. It's the same same idea. Like Canada has this toughness and this drive behind us and I think it's exciting to watch players that embody that and represent the country well.
1: Yeah, I also think Canadians tend to really embrace people that they feel fall into their value set. And yeah. like you said, she she exemplifies that really well. Uh, similar to what you were saying, like if, if there's a kid on the World Junior team who lights it up, who is some seventh rounder who grew up on a farm, you know, Canadians love that guy by the end of the tournament, uh, just because they identify with that more Canadians. Canada can identify with that. This is an identifiable athlete, her work ethic, her commitment, her high-level talent. All these things scream Canadian superstar
0: to me. Alright, so make sure you keep an eye on the LPGA. Um, Follow Brooke Henderson. She's going to get more wins. That's an absolute guarantee unless there's any catastrophic injuries or whatever, but which, obviously, I hope doesn't happen. I don't know why I mentioned it. But, <laughs> but I, she she's going to be a good player for years to come, so you've got a player to watch on the LPGA for sure. Speaking of players to watch, let's get into our Players of the Week, where we're going to highlight some of the best players that we've watched this week. I'll go first, so I'm highlighting Adam Brooks of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I can't get enough of watching this kid play. He came in about a week ago now, or mid, mid-April he started, and over the past four weeks, he or over the past week, four games, he has had so much chemistry with Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton that it's just been fun to watch that fourth line hit the ice. He's got four points in four games, and he's really making a case for at least keeping him in the lineup for this playoff run. Where he is right now, it's going to be really hard to, to change that line and try and build that chemistry back because they're flying right now, and it is fun to watch. I think that
1: comes back partially to what we were saying earlier, too, that not every player is willing to change their role to be successful. Obviously, this guy didn't get drafted because he was a great fourth liner, but he's really showed the character to be that guy. And I think that's important. Not every guy that comes at a junior with great numbers is willing to, you know, be like, you know what, I'm not a scorer anymore. And I'm not saying that he can never be that guy, but there is something said about guys who can take a step backwards for the success of their team. So I think. Adam Brooks does deserve a nod for that.
0: Yeah, and I'm really excited to see him as a Leaf next year. Like, you look at the Leafs, they've got 11 UFAs this year, so there's going to be openings openings in the lineup, and he's really putting himself in one of those openings. I I'm excited to watch him play next year and develop and grow and be a third-line guy I mean, obviously, he's not going to be a second-line guy because we have Matthews and Tavares. But he he really is showing that he's developed and showing that he wants to be on this team and he wants to play as a Leaf. And it's really exciting. And it's got me excited for next year because, I'll be honest, as a Leaf fan, I was a little nervous having 11 UFAs, right? Like, that's a lot of guys to try and re-sign. And now... Guys like Adam Brooks are coming up and making me a little less nervous.
1: Yeah. Um, going on with your surprise thing, which I think we can all say Adam Brooks is my player of the week this week is Bradley Beal. There's a lot of move uh, talk about him moving to a different franchise because he's been playing so well and there's not much for him to work with on the Wizards. I think that is a big reason he is my player of the week. They lost John Wall. They traded him. He had a little bit of success before getting injured. But Bradley Beal is running out of high-talented players to work with. There's a good chance he's not a wizard next year, but he hasn't given up. He's not throwing in the towel. He's still performing every night. Uh, Most likely trying to audition for a role on a better team moving forward. Hopefully someone trades for him in the off season. I know there's been a lot of calls that a player like that needs to move on because you just can't appreciate what he's doing on the team that he's on. Uh, But it's really exciting to see what he's been doing. Um, Obviously this week was a huge week. Remy averaged 31.3 points, 5.8 rebounds, and three assists, leading the Wizards who have struggled this season to a 4-0 record this week. So the guy's really putting the team on his back. He's either trying to prove to the Wizards that he's committed to staying or he's doing a really good job of auditioning for another team and saying, listen, if you think you can make a run, you should take a run at me next offseason.
0: Yeah, I think he is. Because like earlier in the season, there were a lot of trade rumors surrounding him of like, oh, he could be a really good deadline move, or, uh, like, things like that, right, but he came out and squashed those rumors and said, no, I'm a wizard this season, this is how it's going to be, I want to play with this team, I'm here, let's play, and that's what he's doing, especially over the last week, like, averaging 31 points, that's not something a lot of players do (laughs) over, over the course of a week, like,
1: no, and a, and a lot of guys we've seen in pro sports, and especially in the NBA, when they don't get exactly what they want, they pout and they play below their ability level. Blake Griffin hadn't dunked for Detroit in what seemed like forever. First game with Brooklyn, big dunk. He's been putting up points. He's been an effective player. Um, so it's refreshing to see Bradley Beal take a different approach and be like listen i'm gonna lead this team and hopefully what what you see me doing is enough to entice you to to pay what is most likely a high price to get a guy like that
0: yeah because you look at a guy like that and it's it's important to have guys on your team that have good character like that as much as like yeah the great skill is good but if you're just gonna shut off that skill because you're not getting exactly what you want then you're not a player that I want on my team, regardless of how skilled you are, just because that's frustrating and that can be toxic in a locker room. But a guy that's going to give his all every night, that's what you need in a locker room because that drives all the other players to go, okay, let's do it. Let's go. Let's push. I don't care if we're losing. Let's make a push for it. And I think that's that's sort of an attitude that the Raptors have really developed in their locker room. Um, And it's great to see other teams with players with that same attitude
1: yeah I think it's a good reminder for kids out there these days that there's two ways to get what you want and until you're in a power position which you're not going to be until you're a pro athlete the best way to get what you want when you're on the field is to have the most impact you can possibly have and that's definitely not by pouting because you didn't get the minutes you think you should get or you didn't get to play with the people you think you should play with. It's just by going out there and having the best positive impact on the game that you can.
0: Alright, so that wraps up our Players of the Week. And with that wraps up episode 12 of The Fanalists. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. I thought I think it was a pretty good one. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at TFanalysts and on Instagram at Podcast. We're going to be posting a little more on Twitter by posting about our Players of the Week, so make sure you interact. Let us know if you have any questions or any topics you want us to talk about on the podcast. We're getting back into the swing of things after that month off, so make sure you uh, interact with us and tell us what you think. Yep. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to give us our time on our hot takes so you don't like. Yeah, like Cole Caulfield being a bust. <coughs>